series of teachings and seminars and relational network and that kind of thing. So you're here tomorrow, the same. And then we'll again we'll quit and and I'll quit on time. So you got 15 minutes just to you know to get a drink or, or take a break for a few minutes and come back in and I'll tell you a little bit about that story. Because I, I think it, it's our story here, but a lot of you are connected to us. But also, I think it will have relevance to your story where you are as well. Because I always like to tell a story that helps you in your own setting, not just tell you how cool we are here in Kansas City. I'm much more interested in you being strengthened to take hold of what's happening in your city and in the place the Lord has assigned you. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for these men and women that have said yes to the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask you that you would release supernatural wisdom, supernatural wealth, divinely orchestrated open doors, even like you did to your servant Cyrus. Do it again in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, uh, many of you probably are familiar a little bit uh, who Cyrus was. He was a Persian king, and we're talking about five to 600 B.C., and I got the dates there in the, in the handout. I won't go into that real detailed. Uh, he was the Persian king, which means the king of Iran today, modern-day Iran. And so he uh, was an unbelieving king that the Lord raised up out of obscurity and put him in a position as the most powerful man in the world in a supernatural way. He was not the one that was supposed to be the head of, of, uh, of Persia. Through a turn of events, a series of events, he was established in that place. The Lord's Spirit was on him. Now, as I, I mentioned this a little bit this morning, he's a Gentile. Now, because most of us are Gentiles, that seems pretty cool that he was a Gentile. But for a Gentile to be called by a Hebrew prophet... The anointed of the Lord is almost blasphemy. I mean, that was politically incorrect at the highest level that you could imagine when Isaiah prophesied about this man 200 years before he was born. He prophesied that a young boy would be born named Cyrus. He would be raised up. God would put the authority in his hands. The Spirit of God would move on him. And he would be a man that would fulfill God's purposes that would change history. Of course, this is again 500 B.C. It's 2,500 years ago. Cyrus is a prototype. He's a picture of Gentiles in whom the God of Israel, the God of the Lord Jesus, that he would put his hand on them and supernaturally set things into motion above and beyond anything they had the human ability to make happen. Of course, in the Hebrew uh, uh, history, in the Hebrew context, it's Joseph. Cyrus is to the Gentiles what Joseph is to the Jewish people. Out of nowhere, a slave in prison becomes the second most powerful and the wealthiest man in the whole world. That's really hard to do that. That's really hard to make that happen. And Cyrus had the same kind of, of, of situation. But Cyrus represents an apostolic calling. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but in the marketplace. Or let's expand it. It could be in the military because Cyrus was the head of the most powerful army in the world as well. The wealthiest man. 
the most powerful politician. He, he was a king over the biggest realm of his day in the earth and the most powerful army. So he had the biggest army, the biggest sphere of rule as a king, as a president, and the greatest wealth of any man in the world in his day. Paragraph A, Isaiah 45 describes Cyrus as the anointed of the Lord. That means what he would do, he would do by Holy Spirit power. The fact that he was called the anointed, and we'll look at that in a moment, we'll look at the actual passage. The Lord's anointed, which is the same Hebrew word for Messiah. When it says Jesus Christ is the Greek word, Messiah is, is uh, the English word. And the anointed of the Lord would be the, is, is, is the, uh, the, the Old Testament word that is translated Messiah or Christ. So he's called the he's called the anointed. I mean, you can't quite say Christ. You just you know something in you hesitates. So I won't. But the anointed of the Lord, which means he had supernatural power, setting things into motion. Now the dynamic thing about this story is the Holy Spirit was setting it up before Cyrus ever committed himself to the Lord. And at the end of the story, Cyrus said yes to the Lord, like Nebuchadnezzar did. The Lord made Cyrus an offer he couldn't refuse. But Cyrus, in the end of the story, said yes to the Lord. Now, we don't have a record of that in, he, in, a, in a Persian history, but we do from, from the Scriptures. that The Lord says, He will know me at the end. He will know that I have called Him by name. The Lord is, set, is going ahead, setting things into motion in your lives years ahead of time that you could not possibly know where this story is going. And Cyrus is a prototype of that. He's a provider. Now, being a provider, he was a man that God raised up to make provision for others. But not just for others, but making provision in a corporate sense for the purpose of God. But there's an individual dimension as well. He's a provider. Now, the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. He is, one of His name is, Provider. And so this is a powerful reality and calling when the Lord raises you up as a provider of resource for individuals or for the purpose of God. He was also a deliverer. He, he released the captives. He turned the situation around in a dramatic way. I mean, some people are providers, but they're not deliverers. He was a deliverer of an entire nation, the nation of Israel. Why is this? Well, the nation of Israel at the time of Cyrus's reign was in captivity. They were in prison camps, or you might call them work camps that had really bad conditions. But they really were prison camps. The Jews were in prison camps in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, you know the story, put them into those camps. For 70 years, Nebuchadnezzar dies. The next king or two comes. And then later on, after 70 years, Cyrus comes in, the neighboring nation, Iran and Iraq, it's the same story over again, being the king of Persia or Iran, he moves in and defeats Babylon, which is, of course, Iraq, and then the Holy Spirit tells him to release these captives and restore the nation of Israel. So he is a deliverer, even like Moses, he didn't have the signs and wonders like the Red Sea and those kinds of things. But he had supernatural signs and wonders in economics, in open and closed doors of his enemies. So his signs and wonders were different than Moses. 
Moses were signs and wonders in nature. Cyrus had signs and wonders in the, if you want to call it economics, the networking, the connectedness, the being put in position to deliver the nation of Israel even like Moses did. So he was a deliverer. The next thing is that he was a forerunner. He was a, a man that the Lord used in the Cyrus anointing is about the new initiatives that are on God's heart. A Cyrus anointing is not just a guy or a gal that the Lord gives wealth to. It's a guy or a gal that operates into this provision dimension, deliverance dimension, but there's this forerunner dimension where they are breaking open the new things, that, I mean, the things that are on God's heart that are new in history. It's, a, it's, a, it's that new initiative that God wants to release in history. They are forerunners, and you'll see this in Cyrus's uh, profile here in Isaiah 45. By the way, Cyrus is mentioned quite a few times uh, uh, in Isaiah, besides Isaiah 45. And we won't have time to develop the whole profile of Cyrus, but you want to do that. Even if, 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 if this is just an advertisement to your spirit to go study Cyrus. You really want to know Cyrus. You really do. But he's a forerunner as well. Let's look at paragraph B. He's a, he ruled Persia. I have the dates there. He's a prof, prophetic picture of God, of the people that God is going to raise up in the end times. There are Cyruses right here in this room. They will deliver... They will be entrusted with supernatural wisdom. Don't think of Cyrus's only as people with finance or military power or political power. They have supernatural wisdom. God gives it to them direct or gives it to them by the people that God raised up around him. And they help establish God's purposes. Now in a very specific way, because I want to leave you with this idea, with clarity... In a very specific way, they establish the prayer movement and the purposes that God had for the nation of Israel. And we'll look at that in a minute. Now, when I say the prayer movement, uh, don't think about Kansas City. The prayer movement is exploding around the world. And you, we fast forward ten years from today. You know, I've, I've been paying attention to the prayer movement for some time because I've been really... Uh, focused and energetic about intercession because the Lord spoke to me in a very clear and dramatic way in May of 1979. I was 23 years old when He spoke to me about my calling to intercession. Many years ago, though I did not understand intercession, I began to give myself to it. Uh, you know, it was pretty rough, but I, I gave myself to it because it was such a clear mandate. When the Lord told me to be an intercessor in May 79, I had never been to an intercessory meeting once in my life. It was a sovereign direction from heaven. I heard it, and of course, being 23, I told everybody, you know, by the, by the end of the day, I'm an intercessor. I just told everybody. And they said, what's an intercessor? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what an intercessor is. I mean, they pray. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting for intercession? No. But I'm starting next week. Literally, I'd never been to one. And the Lord told me, your number one calling in life is an intercessor. It was so clear and it was overwhelming. And again, I told everybody, I, I, you know, 79, 80, 81, 82, I just was calling everybody to intercession, though I didn't have a clue what it was about. And I definitely didn't like it. 
Once I went to my first ten prayer meetings, I go, you've got to be kidding. I'm going to be doing this? There's not a way in the world this is going to work. I had no dream that an IHOP would start one day. But anyway, I'm giving too much of my thing. I want to get back to, to Cyrus. Here's my point. I've been paying attention to the prayer movement since that time. That's my point. And through the 80s, I remember I went to the Christian bookstore right after that experience in May 79. I said, give me every book you have on intercession. Went to the big Christian bookstore, the biggest one. I lived in St. Louis. The guy goes, "Uh, on what? I said, intercession. He goes, I think we have one title. I said, that's it? He goes, there aren't any books on intercession. So I went to the other Christian bookstore in St. Louis where we were pastoring, and they had one title too. I go, how come there's no books on intercession? I go, Lord, because I read the Word, I couldn't figure it out. So I wanted to read books on it. So I said, how is this going to happen? In the 80s, then there began to be an increase. I mean, like 10 books in the Christian bookstore. I mean, it was like, you know, exponential in growth from 1 to 10. In the 90s, the prayer movement went, took a sharp turn upward in terms of increase. And in the t- 10 years, we've been, it, 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 it was actually nine years, January, we announced that IHOP was starting. So in the nine years that IHOP has been a public declaration, we started actively building IHOP starting in January 90, I mean January 99, so nine years ago. I have watched in nine years such a rapid increase of the prayer movement on a global level. It is staggering. It is everywhere around the world. It is right front and center with what God is doing and and giving people dreams and visions. I mean, you were there the other night, most of you. I said, stand up if the Lord has given you a dream or a vision about your life to be deeply involved in intercession. And thousands, I have no idea how many thousands, although God has spoken to them in an individual way. If I would have given that call 20 years ago, nine people would have stood up out of 15 or 20,000. Nine of them would have stood up. This thing, in 10 years from now, there will be prayer ministries all over the earth at a whole nother level than we can imagine. So when I'm talking about prayer ministries, I'm not giving you a subtle... Uh, hint like, hey, I'm giving you this teaching so you help IHOP. No, I want you to help the prayer ministries in your city and the one that God tells you about. We want to get this idea of the Cyrus calling clear in people's minds all over the world because this is an anointing and a calling that's very, very key. Just like the Anna calling, the full-time intercessor and the singer, the musician, the Cyrus calling, and the Lord is joining these two ministries together in a very dynamic and dramatic way. Look at paragraph D. Well, let's say, look at E. It's an apostolic calling. There's apostolic callings inside of the ministries of the church. But there are apostolic callings out in the marketplace that are all a part of the kingdom. The kingdom is anywhere in society where the will of God is done. The kingdom of God is bigger than the church. The kingdom of God is any sphere of life in which the will of God is done. The church is the organization in which the redeemed come together for training and edification and fellowship and their outreach and bringing the gospel to others. But the kingdom's bigger than that. The kingdom is anywhere where the will of God is done by His people. So there are apostolic callings that are outside of the infrastructure of the local church ministries. 
And God is raising up these men and women with an apostolic calling in the marketplace, in media, in government. And as we understand this and connect with each other by the Spirit, and what I mean by I don't mean by the Spirit in some mystical way, but I see who you are through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. You see who I am and I see who He is. We see each other. Put 2 Corinthians 5.16 as the verse that comes to mind. Paul said we don't view each other after the flesh anymore. We see each other after the Spirit. We see who one another is from God's point of view. That's what I mean by seeing each other in the Spirit. When I see you in your weakness, in your brokenness, but in your divine calling as an apostolic ministry in the marketplace, it changes everything in terms of the way we relate. If I see you as a nearly committed guy that would really be committed if you quit your job and joined IHOP, That's very different than seeing you as strategically placed with an apostolic calling in the marketplace, doing the will of God under the anointing. My point being this, when we see each other through a biblical paradigm, what we we talk about and how we dream about each other is dynamically changed when we get the right paradigm. And the Cyrus paradigm is a critical one. Paragraph D. Just look at the verse, Isaiah 44. Here's what the Lord says of Cyrus. Now again, we're talking about a Gentile military man, wealthiest man in the earth, president of a nation. So call it politician, entrepreneur, and top military guy. And surely he would have been the head of media if they had it back then. This is what the Lord says of Cyrus. Number one, he is my shepherd. He's not a backslider. He is my shepherd. I'm going to use him in provision, not only for my people, but for my purposes, which are slightly different. He will perform all of my pleasure. It's not like Cyrus is pretty committed, but if he really did what Daniel did, it would be better. No, it's better that he does what he is called to do. A Cyrus with the wrong idea, who leaves their position to go be an Anna, it's not good. I mean, it's good, it's sweet, but it's not the wisdom of God. Because all of my good pleasure for Cyrus is leading the government, leading his marketplace entrepreneurial assignment, and leading, leaving his place as the head of the military. And here's what he says, you're going to perform all my pleasure. Now he's going to get real specific in two ways. Because it's bigger than these two things, but this is the top of the, of the priority of God. This is really key that, that, that you see this. Because a lot of folks want to be Cyruses because they just want money. And they're, they're happy to give God a little overflow. But God's not interested in raising up men and women to give a little overflow. I mean, a lot of guys do that and the Lord blesses them. That's their business. I'm talking about He's looking to give outrageous wealth to men and women who are wholly committed and understanding why it is they're raised up. That's a different thing than being blessed... And just giving a little bit here and there and blessing a few people on the way. I'm talking about your whole identity as a servant of God. Of course, our identity is is a child of God first. But as a servant of God is to understand for such a time as this, you've been raised up for the kingdom and you have kingdom eyes in everything that you see. None of it is yours. It's all the Lord's. That's a Cyrus. And so some folks... Say, I want to be a Cyrus, and what they mean is I want to be blessed financially. I go, that's not exactly what this thing is. 
Like another guy goes, you know, I want to be a prophet or an apostle. They don't want the prison sentences. They don't want the warfare at night. They just want to be like famous with signs and wonders. It doesn't work that way. Obviously, you already know that. But here's what he says to Cyrus. Catch this. Here's what Cyrus shall say to the natural city of Jerusalem. This is not spiritual Jerusalem, as some commentators say. Jerusalem, you shall be built, and add the phrase, in the purposes of God. Meaning it's not enough just that natural Jerusalem is built, but that Jerusalem is built according to what's on God's heart. The great battle, this is a huge theological point I'm going to make without proving it, but I can prove it if I had an hour. I won't take it. The number one battle at the end of the age is the battle for the city of Jerusalem. It's the number one battle in the spirit and in the natural. The armies of the earth will gather around the city of Jerusalem to wipe it out. The demon powers of the earth will concentrate on moving the nations against Jerusalem. The end time prayer movement will release angels to stop it. The whole of the end time purpose is not only about this. There's many other uh, battles to be fought in the end time uh, scenario. But at the very epicenter is the battle for Jerusalem. Now that may be a new idea to some of you, and you don't have to buy into that or even go there right now, but just say note to self, there's something about the Cyrus calling, I've got to figure out this Jerusalem thing. Because you will never enter into your full Cyrus calling without understanding that Cyrus says by the Holy Spirit to the city of Jerusalem, you will fulfill the purpose of God. Jerusalem is not just a city that's just kind of troublesome. It is at the center of the end time collision in the spirit and in the natural. I have on, on our website a 10 or 15 page document called The Battle for Jerusalem where I lay this thing out. If it's a new idea and you want to check it out, it is, it's biblical through and through this issue of the significance of Jerusalem. So don't think Cyrus money only. Think divine ideas. Holy Spirit networking of key men and women. The purposes of God being marshaled and focused in a right way and the city of Jerusalem being contended for. According to God's purposes. I don't even mean according to Israel's, the government of Israel. What the Israel government wants to do with Jerusalem is really different than the government of heaven, what they want to do with Jerusalem. So when I think of Israel, I don't think mostly of the Israeli government because they're really off concerning the city of Jerusalem. And Israel's enemies are really off when it concerns the city of Jerusalem. The king in heaven has a plan for Jerusalem that is different than any of the governments of the earth are thinking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's a big subject that we're going to move on. I'm really going to close it for and give you a break. Then you're going to say, that's number one, you're going to say to the city of Jerusalem, you shall be built. Then you're going to say to the temple, your foundations shall be laid. They shall be in place. Because if the foundations are laid, everything else will take care of itself. Cyrus, we're talking about an Iranian, Persian, Gentile, unbeliever, 200 years before he's even born, is mandated to lay the foundations of the temple in Jerusalem. What? Man, it was God's mercy to Isaiah. This kid wasn't born. It would have really been a problem if the guy was actually in power. It would talk about politically incorrect. They would have tar and feathered Isaiah for sure and threw him in jail. They didn't like him anyway. 
The end time Cyruses are going to be engaged in the battle for Jerusalem, physically, financially, and spiritually, and they will see the house of prayer foundation laid across the nations of the earth. Paragraph E. This idea of the temple. Isaiah himself, a few chapters later, because this is Isaiah 45 is Cyrus, Isaiah 56, the temple is called by God the house of prayer. Jesus came along in Matthew 21 and said it again. He said, it is written, meaning he's quoting Isaiah, and he's looking right at the temple. He goes, this temple, God calls it the house of prayer for all nations. The Cyrus calling will be involved in building the house of prayer for all nations. It's not a city. It's not a ministry. It's a global Unofficial network. It won't be an official network because God's raising up an international family of affection where we will be cheerleaders for one another with all different types of ministries and look and feel will be very different. But it's a huge international family of affection. And that's what I mean by the prayer movement across the earth. They will have prayer movements throughout India and Asia and all over Africa and South America and North America and Europe. And the Lord wants the foundations of the house of prayer laid in the earth to prepare for the building of the purpose of God related to the city of Jerusalem. Now I realize that there's a lot of un, uh, there's a lot of blanks that I'm leaving, uh, uh, you know, a lot of areas. I mean, I'm leaving as blanks here, but uh, because I, obviously I don't, we don't have time here to do, you know, ten hours of teachings on the end time. But it is, it is a clear, emphasized biblical concept. One thing I love to say to people, to kind of throw them off, but I try to say to be helpful to them, but it does normally throw them off. Did you know there's over 100 chapters in the Bible that are focused on the end times? 100 chapters. One of our key leaders added them up because I know it's over 110. It depends, you know, come some chapters, you're not sure if it's, you can take it a couple ways. He came up with a number of 130 chapters. Do you know if you add Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's 89 chapters. Almost 90 chapters about Jesus at His first coming, releasing the power of God for redemption. Did you know there's more in the Bible about Jesus coming the second time than the record in the Gospels of Jesus coming the first time? Same Bible, same Jesus, same Holy Spirit, no difference whatsoever. It's the Jesus we love. The first one was accomplishing redemption. The second set of chapters, this hundred plus about the end times, is Jesus exercising dominion over all the nations of the earth. My point is, the subject of the end times is not just kind of some, you know, exotic, eccentric, little side subject in the Bible that a few guys that are interested in. It is, there's more about Jesus in the end times than Jesus at the first coming in the Bible I'm talking about. Most believers I know are 99% illiterate of the Jesus that I've just talk, talked about. But he's not a different Jesus. It's the same man. It's the one we love. My point being, as Cyrus says, and we'll look at this in a moment, we have to be familiar with the prophetic purposes. Those hundred chapters, you don't have to be a, you know, an expert on all hundred of them. 
I mean, I want to be, I want to know all hundred of them, every line of them. I've made it a personal commitment to break down, not that I'll get it right on all of them, but I am chewing every single one of those chapters and digesting them with a focused zeal, and I have been for a decade, going hard after those hundred chapters. My point is, as Cyrus says, you want to go after those chapters. You don't want to be left to the side, well, you know, I don't know, I'll figure it out, it'll all end the way it ends. No, you want to be in conscious cooperation with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Okay, paragraph F. Now this is one of the chapters about Jesus. From Micah chapter 2. This is related to the second coming of Christ. And in verse 13, you can read the whole thing on your own. Jesus, it's the Messiah returning. When He comes, He's going to break open... And the people of God are going to break out and pass through the gate. Here's my point. There's a break open of the new dimensions of God's purpose that will cause the people of God to break out of their mindsets and even the way that they carry their heart and live their life. There's a break out, break open dimension of the forerunner on the Cyrus calling. There are new initiatives. There are new frontiers. There are new purposes that the body of Christ does not have their hands on, don't really have their heart around it. The Lord is going to give this breakout, break-open, forerunner anointing to Cyruses. Now, not only to Cyruses, but to Cyruses for sure. Now, Cyrus, what he did was so new, it was so radical, never had such a thing been done. I mean, Moses delivered Israel against Pharaoh's will. But Cyrus was the Pharaoh guy. Cyrus operated under the anointing and did the most outrageous, unprecedented deal. He set the captives, the free workforce. I mean, imagine 50,000 free laborers. I mean, all you do is pay their food and housing and they're in shack houses and bad food. I mean, really, really low income. I mean, really low overhead. 50,000. He sent them back. He freed them. Huge workforce that he lost. But it was more than that. He gave them what would be uh, uh, today billions of dollars. He paid for the building of the house of prayer in the city of Jerusalem. He paid for the building of it himself. I mean, talking about... An innovative breakout, break open. Even the Jews, 50,000 of them left Babylon when Cyrus sent them home. Hundreds of thousands stayed there. Even the Jews that were liberated didn't have enough forerunner anointing of clarity to know to go home. But Cyrus had it. I, I cannot exaggerate how unprecedented this announcement was in his world at that time. Saddam Hussein, imagine 10 years ago, Rises up. The God of Israel has told me to bless Israel and to build the temple and to fund it myself. Now you're getting it. That is the level of what we're talking. Well, if you want to upgrade it from Saddam Hussein, that other guy over in Iran, however you say his name, it would be him doing it. I mean, that's the level of what happened. Talking about forerunner. But it's not just he did something unprecedented. He was the only guy besides Daniel and one or two others who saw ahead of time and knew it was time to build the house of prayer in Jerusalem. The Jews did not even see it. They knew it was in the Bible. They didn't know it was now. 
This man sees the now Word of God and sets things into motion to make it happen. The other guy that saw it was Daniel. Okay, paragraph G. There's many levels of the Cyruses. Some of you will affect nations. Others of you will affect regions. Others of you will affect cities. And some of you will operate together in geographic regions by Holy Spirit connectedness. You want to ask the Lord, show me the Cyruses. Show me the men and women that have a revelatory spirit. Remember, it's not just guys that make money. It's men and women with living understanding. They have a revelatory spirit. They have understanding of the times and the seasons. It says the sons of Issachar from 1 Chronicles 12. I don't have it here in the notes. Verse 33, 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. That the sons of Issachar were the ones that knew the times and the seasons. That's what Cyrus knew and that's what Daniel knew. I don't know that... Any, I mean, there surely were a few other guys that knew it, but they're not uh, recorded in Scripture. Okay, Roman numeral 2. What God promised to do in preparing Cyrus. Now, what God did in Cyrus, he, it's in the Bible, not just so Cyrus would get blessed. It was in the Bible because it is a prototype of the end-time Cyrus. And when you read Isaiah 40 uh, from... from, a, from a, Chapter 40 to 55, actually, which is a section of Isaiah, chapter 40 to 55, you will understand that the Cyrus, the Cyrus picture is meant to be an end time picture. It was not only something that happened one day in history, it was meant to be understood as that which God will do in the ultimate sense at the coming of the Messiah. But that's a, a bigger picture to study Isaiah 40 to 55, that section of scripture. Cyrus is mentioned all the way through it. It's meant to be understood as a prototype that would have its ultimate fulfillment at the end of the age. So when I read these 10 or 15 things that Cyrus is going to do, you want to say to yourself, Lord, I want this. The Lord says, but remember, I want you to build, get engaged in the battle for Jerusalem, and I want you to lay the foundation of the house of prayer across the earth. Well, I'm not really into that. I'm more into the economic increase. I really believe the Lord will say in terms of the Cyrus, pass, next. Because the Lord's not interested in just helping out your agenda. He's interested in His kingdom and preparing the nations for the greatest outpouring of the Spirit and the greatest conflict ever seen in human history is just around the corner. It may be 10 or 20 years or down the, or maybe 30 or 40. I don't know. It may be sooner. I don't know that either. But it's right around the corner any way it goes. And God is looking for His Daniels. Those intercessors, he's looking for the prophets, he's looking for the Cyruses, he's connecting them together, and he's giving understanding of the end time scriptures. There's a, a huge reality. So the, thus says the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus. Again, when you say the word anointed, put power of the Holy Spirit. There was supernatural dimensions of activity happening in his life. Whose right hand I will hold. The Lord would tenderly hold His right hand. This is a statement of tenderness. I'm going to speak to His heart and I'm going to encourage Him at key times along the way. That's a statement of intimacy. I will subdue nations before Him. He will have authority to establish His purpose in other nations. Some of you in the business arena, God says, I will subdue nations. I will make it work for your that which I have given you, you will have authority to establish that purpose in other nations. That's what it means to subdue nations. 
Before him I will loose the armor of kings. When a king was in battle, when he took his armor off, that was his way of saying it, 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 it was a euphemism. It, it was a statement of surrender. When a king came, he took his armor off, he bowed down, and the, the conquering king put his foot up on the king's neck. That, that happened all over in the, in the ancient world. So to loose the armor of kings means the hostile resisting powers will bow down. I mean, this, this isn't just figurative. This is what it actually meant and that actually happened in the natural. I will open before Him double doors. Now, the double doors is the double provision. Because normally, a single door would be open. But if you've got, you know, the cargo is so abundant, the double doors have to open to bring it in. The gates won't be shut. It's an abiding anointing. It's not an anointing for three years. It's an abiding anointing. Now, there will be some rough times and some challenges in between. You know, I mean, it's not like it's unbroken, you know, joyous prosperity. There will be attacks. There will be hindrances. But the thing will be a sustained anointing once the Lord sets it in motion. Verse 2, I'll go before you. In other words, he says, and I'll make the crooked places straight. I will go ahead of you, and I will and I will smooth out the difficulties. Now you might say, doesn't look like he's doing it. And the Lord might answer, you should have seen the mess you were in before I went ahead of you. You you have some troubles, level one, two, three, four, but they were set up as a ten, twenty, thirty on a scale of ten. I have gone before you. I have set things in motion, and when you step into it, the guy will, will know the other guy who knew this, then he'll be ready. He'll say, how did this happen? The Lord says, it's not just about you, it's about what I'm doing through you and my purposes. I will break into pieces the gates of bronze and the bars of iron. That's the doors that are, the bronze locks are on them, and you can't get through. You know, you take the battering ram of the ancient world, they couldn't break the bronze doors. They had the double, you know, security system. God said, I'll speak, and those doors will be shattered and open. I'll make a way where there is no way. Where it's impossible, I will do it. Now look at this, verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I am the Lord who called you by name, and you will know I'm the God of Israel. Now this is to a Persian king. You will know I'm the God of Israel, and I have a purpose with Israel as I give you these, these treasures. The treasures of darkness, that is literal wealth that is, in, that is in unexpected, out-of-the-sight places. And in some cases, it's literally the treasures in the ground. I mean, it's literally the treasures in the ground. That's what it literally means. But it's treasures that are unexpected, that are not within your sight. And it's divine ideas. And it's divine connected relationships. It's the treasures that are out of sight that surprise you, that come suddenly. And the Lord says, but I want you to know that I'm the one who did it. And I'm the God of Israel. I'm not just... The God of the nations, I am. I have a specific purpose that I want you involved with as I am going to shake all the nations through the great battle for Jerusalem. Let's go to the top of page 3 in the last moment or two. Here's, here's what I say. Let's go to C. 
Here's basically what I say on page 3. It's really key, and I'd like you to take a peek at it on your own, but I, I do want to quit on, on schedule here. Cyrus, number C. There are several dimensions in the Cyrus drama. Number one, there's the Cyrus forerunner, the, the man, the woman, the individual. Number two, there's the prophecies. Isaiah and Jeremiah had the prophecies. And, and you read the, uh, uh, the, the paragraphs before that. That Daniel the intercessor, of course we know Daniel's a prophet, but in this part of the story, Daniel was the fasting and praying man that loosed the angels that stopped the demons that made Cyrus come forth. See, Cyrus had revelation, but significantly more revelation, this Jewish slave who was exalted in the, in the uh, Babylonian uh, uh, government, this fasting and praying man, Fasting up for he's the one that read the Isaiah and Jeremiah prophecies. He knew the, what the Bible said about his generation. Beloved, we have to know what the Bible says about our generation. And, I, and Daniel, he read Isaiah, he read Jeremiah, you can, you can read the notes there, and he said, this is the hour. This is the hour. He set himself fasting and praying. The fasting and praying of Daniel, Chen, uh, Daniel 10 loosed angels. The angels drove back the demons that were making... The, uh, that, was, the, you know, that, 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 that was blocking Cyrus's mission. Beloved, we can't do this thing without the angels driving back the demons, and they will only do it in answer to night and day prayer. So there's four things that are coming into play here. The Cyruses cannot do it without the intercessors. The intercessors can't do it without the prophecies to fuel them. The angels won't move without the intercession. And the intercessors won't make it if the Cyruses don't help them. It's everybody connected together. So the new paradigm is Cyruses that are saying, I will say yes to Jerusalem, the battle for Jerusalem. I don't get it, but I say yes. I say yes to the temple being laid its foundations across the earth. I don't fully get it, but I say yes. I say yes to the Daniel intercessors. I need them. Bring them my way. I need the angelic. But all that you give me, in not just money, but in wisdom and in positions of favor and authority, I will use it for your purposes in the earth. That's just a little introduction to who Cyrus is and who I believe some of you in this room, what your life is about. Amen and amen. Let's pray for a moment. And I hope that this little, very small introduction stirs your spirit to go study Cyrus out. It's a huge subject. Father, I ask You.